Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. It has been said of my guest today that her vocals penetrate your heart. The lyrics stir your conscience, the melodies are soothing, and the rhythms are contagious. I have no doubt you will experience that for yourself. Taina Asili is a New York-based Puerto Rican singer, songwriter, band leader, and activist carrying on the tradition of her ancestors, fusing past and present struggles into one soulful and defiant voice. Her newest artistic work is an energetic fusion of powerful vocals laid over Afro-Latin, reggae, and rock sounds. Residing in Albany, New York, Taina performs her social justice songs as a solo artist and also with her dynamic eight-piece band, Taina Asili y la Banda Rebelde, bringing love, resistance, and ancestral remembrance to venues, festivals, conferences, and political events across the globe. Taina's voice exudes strength of spirit, filling listeners with the fervor of freedom and inspiring audience to dance to the rhythm of rebellion. Asili's first album, War Cry, was released with La Banda Rebelde in 2010, and her latest album, Fruit of Hope, was released in 2014. Music producer and journalist David Malachowski writes, The high energy of the band is simply impossible to ignore. The exotic, incessant rhythms reel you in, and the stabbing horns, hypnotic bass, and Asili's urgent voice draw you closer. She was also described as a true talent and a true social justice warrior. Taina's music is a powerful force for social change. In January 2017, she performed for over half a million people at the Women's March on Washington, alongside activists such as Angela Davis, Janet Mock, and Gloria Steinem, and artists including Alicia Keys, Janelle Monet, Toshi Reagan, and Madonna. Her music has been aired several times on Democracy Now!, She's been described by Billboard magazine in a list of 11 songs of protest and resistance by Latino artists and has performed and participated in Rock Against the TPP Tour, where she joined famed guitarist Tom Morello, Emmy-nominated actress Evangeline Lilly, and other high-profile artists in a nationwide tour to stop the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Her work expands beyond the realm of music into other forms of media. Her most recent music video, No Es Mi Presidente, which she wrote and directed, was premiered in Rolling Stone and received national acclaim. Her music video, Freedom, also received national media attention, including features in Mike.com, Latina Magazine, The Source, OK Player, and Feministing, and was described as a new Black Lives Matter anthem. It was also featured in the Workers Unite Film Festival. Her music video commentary on climate justice and We Walk was featured as part of an interview with Taina in Yes Magazine. Recently, she has dove into the world of podcasting with her new show, The Rhythm of Rebellion, featuring interviews with social justice artists from around the world. During her 20-year career of creating music for social change, she's toured the country numerous times, toured Europe from Ireland to Germany, and has performed in Canada, Mexico, and Puerto Rico. Taina has performed with well-known artists at many well-known festivals, and artists that she's worked with include Talib Kweli, Alicia Keys, Janelle Monet, Angela Davis, Cornell West, Ursula Rucker, Sonia Sanchez, and many more. She's dedicated to using her art as a tool for personal and social transformation. The liberation themes in Taina's writing are based in her activism in political prisoner liberation, prisoner justice, climate change, and food justice movements. Taina has an MA in transformative language arts from Goddard College. And in addition to her performance and activist work, she facilitates art workshops for youth and adults. In 2005, she received the Transformation Award from Leeway Foundation for her art and social change work. In 2010, the Fabulous Feminist Creative Force Award was given to her by Holding Our Own Foundation. And in 2015, the Hispanic Coalition in New York recognized her as one of their 40 under 40 rising stars. In 2016, she received the Jimmy Perry Progressive Leadership Award from Citizen Action New York, and in 2017, she was honored by the City of Albany's Commission on Human Rights. 
If you look at our history, she says, you see over and over that music has played a central role in changing how people think, both for the good and the bad. How we make change in larger political landscapes starts with how we affect one another individually. And music brings a message in a way that opens people, their heart, mind, and spirit. I am confident that no doubt you will feel that inspiration, that alignment and that opening of your heart and mind and spirit today as you listen to my conversation with Taina. Thank you for joining me. And I hope this episode really inspires you and gets you moving and motivated. One of my favorite quotes and a really guiding principle in my life is from the poet and activist Audre Lorde, who said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. I actually shared this quote in a talk that I was giving to activists, and it was about self-care and how even when we are, and especially when we're putting ourselves out so strongly in the world to help be a voice for change, to be a contribution to a better world and a better place and justice, it can start to feel like we're not allowed to take care of ourselves. But as Adam Grant, the social psychologist who has looked at the phenomena of generosity and giving, has also established in his research, givers have to know when to hit the pause button and take care of ourselves. One of the most popular blogs on my website is How Being a Good Girl Can Be Hazardous to Your Health. And it's about the importance of, as women, reclaiming and taking ownership of our voice as a voice of safety and self-protection and self-care, but also as a voice for those we love. And hopefully we love all of our brothers and sisters and are raising our voices in our communities right now. My guest today is a woman who is such an inspiration to me. We met, she was on the stage just raising her voice with power and resilience and revolution. Taina Asili, who is a powerhouse, Puerto Rican, kick-ass singer and songwriter and social activist. And it is my absolute pleasure to talk with Taina today about voice, raising our voices, owning our power and making social change. Taina, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I have been a fan of your work for a long time, have found it so relevant to my life, um, to my health, to my wellness, and to my creativity. And so it's a, it's a real honor to be here talking with you. Well, thank you. That is an honor for me in return. And well, we, we, I have wanted to have this conversation with you for so long, and I hope it's the start of a long conversation between us. I know we've been conversing by email and, and sort of through the airwaves over various things that have come up since, particularly since the last election. I, you know, this is the first time in my 33 years of being a midwife, herbalist, and physician that I have patient after patient coming into my office and sitting down and we start the conversation with what's going on in their life that's affecting them. And mm. politics has never come into my practice before really in any significant way. And now it's almost like the first thing I hear. People are feeling really burdened and anxious and depressed and overwhelmed. And I know that much of your work and your music is about helping to lift people up and also about social change. And, you know, I have to say, for me, the music that inspires me most is actually the music that came out of, and, and not only came out of, but kind of created, if you will, the backdrop of the civil rights movement. So for me, that, that freedom music is so yeah. powerful. And so much music is about freedom. It's about what people can't necessarily express in their day-to-day -day mm -hmm. life. So for me, I'd really love to hear kind of a million things, but what have you noticed in the past year about how your music is shaping and shifting with what's going on in the world around us? And, and how is what's going on impacting you? Mm. Well, those are really good questions. I think, you know, for me, music is an important part of my wellness practice. You know, it's my way, creativity in general, is an important aspect of my wellness practice. So for me, in terms of my creation of my music, I'm starting with, you know, 
moving through my own process of, of self-exploration and, and change. And then I hope that with that offering, as I publish and, and perform and put out into the world, that people respond to that. And it's, you know, over the 20 years that I've been doing music, I found this to be a really powerful process and exchange. I certainly over the past year have seen a shift in terms of communication with people, you know, during performances, post performances, uh, you know, online, et cetera, people wanting to share with me how my music is helping them. But also, and this is the piece that's even, even a little bit more so important to me, uh, how they can get involved in social justice work and in making change and feeling, you know, people are feeling heavy. You know, I think I'm feeling heavy. I'm feeling extra heavy. And I think that the people that I'm talking with are feeling heavy. But I think that when we, when that, when I share that music, what I hope, and, and there's definitely intention for myself and for others is to inspire people to feel like they have just enough energy to, to do something about the problems that we're facing, you know, in this time. So, you know, we have a lot of conversations with people about, you know, what we can do, what tactics we can use, what has been done, uh, to make change. And so, you know, for me, my music is as much a, just like a feel good, you know, you're not alone. We're not alone. We can do this or, or an informational, you know, aspect of my music, just like, you know, the music that you referenced of the, you know, 60s and 70s, that liberation music. But it also, I feel like it's, you know, becoming a tool to really start conversations after, you know, performances to be able to think collectively about creative solutions to the world's problems. That's powerful. You know, we were talking before we got on our call today both of us have had losses in our life in the past uh, couple of weeks, actually fairly close in time. And interestingly, both were young men in their 30s who had a chronic illness, and in some way that illness took their lives. And Taina, your family is all in Puerto Rico, or not all, but many there. So you're experiencing, um, well, we all are, but you acutely, a, a pretty significant global tragedy right now with your family. And um so we started talking about loss, and I had this experience when I was at my dear friend's son's funeral. We're in church, and my friend is a drummer in an African drum troupe, and while she didn't perform that day, the women's drum troupe just came like banging down the church aisle and up onto stage, and it was the most rousing, powerful drum experience to be in church at a funeral and have the energy lift up and transform. So one, I want to thank you for being part of a culture of people as a musician who inspires and does lift us up and helps to transform all of our energy. And I wonder how you personally use music or use your voice to lift up and transform your own energy? Does, does music do that for you personally? Mm. Yeah, it absolutely does. You know, for me, it, it starts personal and it moves out. And, um, I have a song that I wrote called Sofrito, for example. Um, Sofrito, I'm not sure if you know, but for your listeners is a sort of like a sauce that we use a salsa, if you will, um, in our Puerto Rican cooking. It's like the base of our beans, mm. very healthy. It's got garlic, cilantro and, and a bunch of other, you know, native ingredients to Puerto Rico. And it, you know, when you smell this flavor, when you smell this mixture of, of ingredients, it's just so potent. And y- you automatically know that you're in a Puerto Rican home. If you walk through the door and you smell that smell. My mouth is so, watering already. Just yeah, so you know. <laughs> it's it's the aroma is delicious. And so my grandmother was, you know, the cook of our family, the chef of our family, like many grandmothers and, you know, was known for her special sofrito. Um, and so I, I wrote a song in honor of her. But I actually for me, it was more about I, I use the metaphor of these ingredients to really talk about the the ingredients that make up my nation, that make up my people. A lot of my music is inspired by my ancestry, by my history, and is very much informed by, you know, 
my own personal experiences, the, you know, the experiences of my ancestors, of my people. And I see my work as a part of a legacy of, of artistry that is birthed out of resistance, is birthed out of sort of claiming you know, our humanity in the face of inhumanity. So in Puerto Rico, we have a tradition. It's a folkloric tradition. It's called bomba. So when you were talking about the drums and the ceremony, you know, we have music has always been used as a, a powerful form of communication with each other, with the spirit world, with, you know, with our ancestors you know, music has always been a, a powerful form of evocation, of, of creating change within ourselves and within our world. And for us, our, this tradition I was talking about, bomba, which is like a drum, it's dancing, it's, it's singing, descending from our African and Taino ancestors, that's the indigenous people of Puerto Rico. And who you're named was, after, right? In a, who I'm named after. Yes, so Taina is the feminine of the Taino. Mm. So the bomba tradition was used, you know, to reclaim our humanity in the face of inhumanity. It was used as a time to reclaim our connection to our cultural and spiritual traditions. And when the slave masters were away at church, we would have what was called bombasos. And this was a time that we would organize slave revolts. So it was an important time to really uh, come together and strategize. So wow. I see my music as a part of that legacy. And my parents taught my sister and I this tradition, this bomba tradition. They were bomberos. They, my mother danced, my father drummed and, and sang. And they brought my sister up under this tradition that, you know, Puerto Rico has been colonized, you know, since 1493. If you think about the legacy of this tradition, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years that we have been passing on this, this one particular folkloric tradition to today. So that's, that's the strength of my people, you know, yeah, that it, it, mixed with so many other things. And when I think about Puerto Rico, Aviva, when I think about what's going on in Puerto Rico and, and with my family, I know that we will survive and we will thrive because I know the resilience that is my people, you know, what feels heavy today. And, you know, in my belief is what's going on in Puerto Rico is not just about the hurricane, but about climate change. It's about colonialism. It's about, you know, a lot of different things that have landed Puerto Rico in this predicament. And, you know, I know that we have been through some of this before. You know, if you look at my, my ancestry, my history, our history, we've been through this before and we have powerful tools, including music, to help lift us up, to help us to resist, to survive, to thrive and to heal. So that's what that is for me. When I was in labor with my children and my babies were born at home. And so, you know, you have to call on certain inner strengths to one, I think, overcome some of the cultural beliefs about birth that may cause fear when we're birthing in that way at home. But also it's an intense, you know, it's an intense pathway to go through um, labor at home or labor at all. And one of the things that I used to do is close my eyes and I would visualize all the women who birthed before me and all the women who were birthing at the same time. And that connection to other women and to my ancestors and to all of our ancestors carried me through so powerfully. Maya Angelou, recently I was, I don't remember why, but I was just looking for some inspiration and I decided to watch some Maya Angelou video on, there's some great video on, of her on YouTube. And she has a, a thing that she says that when you're feeling afraid to do something, when you're feeling down, call on everybody who's ever loved you. So if you have to go into a job interview, if you have to step on stage, if you have to confront somebody, call on everyone who's ever loved you, living or not, to be there with you, invite them to be there with you. This tradition of calling on ancestors is strong and powerful. And it sounds like you've ra been raised up from the time you were born, basically, to believe that your ancestors are there, that you're not alone, and to believe that you have self-efficacy, right? You have the ability to use your voice to make change. How does that play out in your life, not just in your music, but how do you call on your ancestors in your life? Um, and mm -hmm. how do you 
continue to draw on that ability to believe you can mm. make change. Mm. Well, I think, you know, when I think about my, my process of honoring my ancestors every morning I get up and, you know, we, we were talking about, um, self care in the, in, you know, in, in, in terms of our wellness as we move, as we move through this struggle of, of making change. So what part of my practice is that every morning when I wake up, I, um, I have an altar room, very small little altar room. And, you know, I, I begin with an honoring of my ancestors at that altar space. And then I move into my gratitude practice. So I move into giving thanks and then I move into a really brief, because, you know, life is busy, but it's about the consistency, not the, the length, but a brief but important time period of meditation. And so that's, that's my morning practice that helps ground me. And it's those three, those three things. So it's remembering my past, giving thanks for my present and what's led to this place, and then sitting and being present with what is, you know. Yes. So I try to start my day every day with those three things. And then maybe I'll put some intentions out there. So, you know, some intentions or some prayers for those who might need it. But that's my practice. And that helps ground me in my songwriting. Like currently I'm working on an album about resilience. And with this album, I, you know, I have to be grounded in that songwriting. I have to be checked in with where I'm at and be calling upon my, that, those ancestors, that legacy. So, you know, every morning I begin with that practice so that when I go to sit down to write, um, I have that foundation within me. So that's, that's one way that I Beautiful. do it, you know. And then as I begin my shows, that song Sofrito that I was telling you about that I hope I can sing for you. Let's do. I want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So I often begin my shows with that song. And there's this beginning, which you'll hear, that is sort of like a calling upon or an honoring of my grandmother. And when I'm honoring my grandmother, I'm really calling, calling to her. I usually look up, I look up right, you know, at whatever light or whatever is facing me. And I just envision her shining down on me. And I envision all of my ancestors shining down on me. And I, you know, I use that strength as I move through my performance. That's, that's an important piece of it for me. You know, it's it's threaded so throughout. Thank you for sharing that. I, I too have an altar. It's in my, I have an office in my house where I do my writing. It's kind of my sacred space. And uh, I have an altar with actually the um, Indian goddess, Green Tara, who's the goddess of healing. And then on that altar, I have a candle, some Palo Santo, a smudge stick, and then little special gifts that were given to me by women who in some way I had impacted their life, but it's a reminder to me to stay present in surrender and being open to sort of the greater message that I'm here to participate in bringing forward to the gratitude to the women who allow me to serve them. And I really let go of any fears or noise that I'm carrying that might sort of get in the way of my just being open to what I'm there to produce. And it's really funny. I created, I created an ancestor wall. I have photographs that were of um, several generations of my mother's and my maternal ancestry. And I put a mirror in the center of that area. And it's really funny because now when I see myself in that mirror, I actually see myself on the ancestor wall. It's so bizarre, but it's so, I didn't anticipate that, but it's so cool. It kind of, it grounds me in, in my maternal family. Well, I would, before we talk about resilience, because I feel like that's such a big central piece of what brought us together is how do we be part of resistance and at the same time, maintain our own resilience. But I'd love to hear Sofrito first, if you would yes, care to sing it. Absolutely. Yes, I would love to. All right, here we go. In la mas profunda de mi memoria vive un sabor de otro es el olor de mi fuerte ascendencia 
en las sabias manos de mi abuelita. myself from clapping and snapping so it wouldn't enter <laughs> the recording i had to keep myself from clapping too <laughs> thank you so much and thank you to your guitars that was gorgeous absolutely wow thank you. 
Wow. Yes, that was rousing. All right. So you are out there uplifting the world and making change and doing a lot of work. You know, it's funny. I was talking with my husband, Tracy, this morning. Right, I make change in a different way, but we both are using our voice and, and writing, and that's a part of our activism, each of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny. Right now, I'm feeling really called to create and produce a lot. And I'm really energized, you know, I'm working crazy weird hours, I'm putting out a lot. And, and I keep wanting to go back to doing more. And my husband was saying, well, what do you think it is that's keeping you so, I mean, I'm kind of energetic anyway, but what's really keeping you like burning that these hours that you're doing. And I said, you know, one, it's being in the flow. I am just loving what I'm doing. But two, I feel like there's such a purpose and a mission that there's something that's happening where I'm getting equally fed by putting out a lot of energy. But at the same time, you and I have both talked about how important, we've talked with each other about how important it is for social activists to do what Audre Lorde said, use self-care as an act of self-preservation. Talk to me about how you find that balance, what inspires you to, you know, put out a lot of energy, because clearly you do, and when you know you need to hit the pause button and, and how you do that. Mm. So it's that resistance well, and resilience that we're yep, talking about. Yeah. Yep, that's it. And, and, you know, for me, I wrote the song about my grandmother and I write about my ancestors because my ancestors are, you know, as recent as my parents my grandparents, my uncles and aunts, I've lost a lot of people um, in my life. So when I speak about my ancestors, they're very recent ancestors to me. Um, And to me, their life experiences and what I hope for my children are a source of inspiration for me and help to give me not only the energy, but the urgency to get it done. So that said, it's a, it's a tug and a pull there too. So there's this urgency like, oh my gosh, you know, climate change is real. You know, the, the racism that's existing on this planet, you know, and in this country right now and what my black son is walking into in this moment is terrifying. And this is all really urgent. For example, the, you know, all, all of that, you know, the, the misogyny and the dangers that my, my daughter are facing as, you know, as she walks on this planet and in, in this country are terrifying and that's really real and urgent. And so I, you know, those, for example, are, are places where I feel a sense of, you know, urgency to get it done and get this work done. Yeah. So but there's then some I remember fire behind there, there's, there's that's some the fire. fuel. Yeah. That's the, but fuel. then the yeah. lessons, the lessons of my past, my parents who are no longer with me, my mother, died in her 50s. My father died in his 60s. My grandmother died in her 70s. And all of their generation, for the most part, with the exception of a couple of people, are gone. And there's so much more. They were real givers on this planet. My parents were incredible keepers of tradition, but also educators and counselors to young people, particularly, um, you know, the, our most vulnerable populations of young people. They were givers in this way. And there was so much more they could have done if they had been able to have the wellness knowledge that I have now, um, which includes how to take care of myself, you know, physically. And I listen to you a lot in, in, <laughs> in that respect. Right. And so I'm paying close attention. But also, you know, for me, in terms of my wellness practice of, you know, not burning out, you know, I, I get involved in a lot of organizing. So in addition to my music, I'm doing, you know, I'm participating in, you know, work around ending mass incarceration, work around food justice, you know, a variety of different things. And it, it all takes time and energy. But if I do in my, if I'm working over capacity, as you've shared, and as I've learned the hard way, and as my family learned the hard way, if we're working over capacity, we won't be here to do the work. Yes. Know? We're not going to be here to do the work. My parents could have been here to do the work. They're not here. We are mm-hmm. non-renewable resources that we have to you know, treat ourselves with sustainability consciousness too, I think. Exactly. exactly. Sustainability for our planet, sustainability for our communities and sustainability for ourselves, our body, minds, and spirits. So I really take that to heart. And it's of course, easier said than done. 
because, you know, <laughs> I do my morning meditation and then by six o'clock I'm stressing out and been on the computer too long and my kids are running around and I'm like, you know, got to get to the show and, you know, we're, we're all trying to balance it all out. You know what I mean? I do. Um, but, you know, so there's contradictions, you know, you might know something, but it's hard to incorporate it. But it's, I keep trying, you know, I don't give up. I keep trying. I keep creating new reminders for myself and, you know, my songs, um, you know, when I, when I sing songs on stage about that, um, they're reminders to myself. I had a teacher who said that we teach what we need to learn. (laughs) So we're, we're both doing that. What are a couple of the things that you do when you really just let loose, hit the pause button or just have fun downtime? Well, my new favorite thing is comedy. Um, oh, that's I, my favorite thing. That's so funny. It is. Yeah. I love comedy. So last year I went on tour with a comedian by the name of uh, Harry Kondabolu, Harry Kondabolu, uh, speaking about really important issues, but doing so in a really humorous way that allows you to remember that you're not alone. So having humor in the midst of this and listening to those comedians that are really doing that it's, it's a, it's a really an art form. I I'm constantly impressed and, and inspired by these comedians, but that's my new jam. I, I love, love it. Oh, that's comedy. so fun. We'll have to trade. Com- we'll have to, at the bottom of the uh, episode, we'll put a couple of links to our favorite comedy. So my favorite comedy this past year has been so corny, but I love that carpool karaoke, the old episodes. So mm. like, Michelle Obama and, um, you know, Missy Elliott rocking out in a car or, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder or Elton John or just any of these folks are just rocking out in the car with this James Corden guy. But it's fun because then I, I, one of my favorite other things to do and my poor husband, I mean, he loves it actually, but we often have to make car rides from where I live up in the Berkshires down to the city for my work and back. And I blast music and sing so loud it's ridiculous that's my other favorite thing that's also my favorite thing so we have a lot in common so singing is oh go ahead surprise right no of course i'm a singer i love to roll it down those windows and sing out of my car and oh yeah it's that's an that's another important one and i love to dance me too Oh, we're going to have to get together. We don't live that far apart. We have to have a little jam and party. I, you know, I've been driving up the road, just rocking out. And when I'll see somebody coming either in the next, in next lane, you know, parallel to me or coming in the other direction in the two lane and they'll just start rocking out. Cause like almost making fun of me, but kind of also getting juiced up, seeing me do it. And I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. right. People mm-hmm. are actually seeing me do this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I it's, have a question. It, oh, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. How do you, if, if we have, um, listeners who feel inspired to start taking up their voice in activism, and it may not be literally through singing or talking or speaking or writing, but to get involved in some way. We're going to actually have another episode, by the way, um, coming up on um, Innocence Project and wrongful incarceration. But uh, So we'll talk some more about getting involved in activism then. But what would be a first step that you would recommend for listeners who want to get involved, whether it's birth activism or health activism or political activism, what's a good way to get started? Well, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I, as I said earlier, I travel around and a lot of people are asking me this question. So I actually came up with five questions or or five tips on my blog that um, I'm getting ready to post this new blog post answering that very question is, you know, are you new to social justice? Well, you know, these are my five tips that I've, cause you know, even as I, I continued, you know, I've been doing social justice work for 20 years and I still hit points where I'm like overwhelmed to like, you know, what, well, what do we do? How do we get started? And I continually go back to these five steps, which is first, I try to understand how we got to this place. You know, I'm trying to figure out well, how did, how do we get here? How do we get to this moment? So it's looking at our history and I do, you know, a lot of digging into, you know, our human history, but also like the history of social justice movements or maybe a particular aspect of the movement that I want to understand more about. So I'll look at, I'll look at that. It's interesting that you're going to have that, that uh, someone from that organization later on, on your podcast, because I also do a lot of work around ending mass incarceration and, you know, do a lot of looking at that. So I'll get like books, 
you know, uh, New Jim Crow, uh, Mass Incarceration at Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander is one of my go-tos. And I'll, I'll even read again. Yeah. Uh, there's a documentary called 13th. Oh, that's my gosh. I love well, watching documentaries. I, that was one of those moments for me. You know, I've been involved in health activism and educating women for 33 years now. And I saw 13th a few months ago. I had to watch it twice, first of all. And I was truly speechless at what I thought. I mean, I grew up in a housing project. I grew up low income. We have many friends from many cultures. And I thought I was relatively educated. And to have this moment of realization that actually slavery has not ended in the United States. It's just been legalized. It, it, for me, was so overwhelming. And I had that feeling like, what do I do? What do I do? And so I thought, okay, well, I've got this podcast. That's what I can do. I can bring people on who can talk about these issues and help us all be more educated. Yes, exactly that. Exactly that. And, you know, I think about you know, in terms, so my step one is that, yeah. you know, in terms of histories, but then my step two is in terms of, I do a lot of research around my own challenging, my own ways of thinking, you know? So, you know, I'm like shifting, shifting my thinking, shifting my behavior is sort of my next step. So, you know, we can go out to protests and we can join organizations and we can get involved in, you know, petition signing, da, da, da. But a lot of the times we find that I find that I am the perpetuator mm-hmm. of, of these problems and that I need to address them within myself. You know, one of the examples that I give in my blog post was about, you know, being a, a, a woman of color feminist activist, you know, I've, I've identified this way and have maneuvered, you know, done a lot of organizing under this umbrella, but I didn't really think enough about being a cis woman. And for those, for those of you who don't understand what that means, it's a, a person whose gender identity matches the sex that they were assigned at birth. So I have cis woman privilege and, you know, I haven't thought a lot. I I didn't, you know, say 10 years ago when I first started thinking about this more deeply, you know, I I started to realize that there are ways that I've been, you know, acting and and organizing and, you know, in my artistry, not really thinking about the ways that I have been excluding and or hurting trans people through through my lack of understanding of this privilege and, and their experience. So I had to do a lot of research, you know, through a lot of different means, you know, whether it be reading and watching, you know, documentaries or going to workshops. In fact, I was at just a workshop uh, just yesterday because it's, you know, we are constant work in progress, you know, so I'm always continuing to learn more, learn as much as I can, you know, and then implement what I learn into my artistry, into my actions and my activism. So, you know, that's well, just... rather than giving away your entire brand new away. blog, let's send people <laughs> over, let's send people over to your blog so they can learn the rest of the steps, which I hope everyone will. So Taina, if you can tell us how to get your blog and then tell listeners the best way to find your music, because I know everybody's going to want to hear more. Yes. Yes. So everything can be found on my website, which is tainaasili.com. And I'll spell that, which is T-A-I-N-A-A-S-I-L-I.com. So there you can find my blog. I have my music videos. I have, you know, links to my music where you can purchase my music. You can also find my music on iTunes and, and all the other places, the download and, and streaming sites. And then I have music videos on YouTube, so you can find me on YouTube as well. And I I have no doubt you are going to have so many new followers because we all already love you. I already loved you, but now I know everyone who's following me is going to be going, I I need some more of that in my life. Um, So I'm so grateful. Um, There's so much I want to talk with you about, but I wonder if we can we can do this again a second time. And maybe today, if you have time, we could go out with some music. If you have another Absolutely. song. Absolutely. So, I would too. Yeah. Good. I would love to just thank you before we do that. And then we'll just, we'll play until the song ends. And thank you so much for joining me and sharing your wisdom, your family story, your inspiration, your truth, your honesty about the places you're still growing and contributing and for being a voice of change with and for all of us. Same to you, Aviva. Thank you so much for having me 
for allowing me to speak my truth and share my truth and for contributing to my healing, you know, um, because I think that, you know, we are exchanging with one another in this way, you know, and I think that for me, the, what, I, you know, what I've read in your work and, you know, listening to your podcasts and it really, you know, I fold it all in. I fold it into my health. I fold it into my, my wellness practice and my music. So oh thank my you gosh. so much. Well, thank you. That's going to be with me every time I listen to your music going forward. It just gave me chills. Thank you. How we do integrate each other because I have turned to you in my mind and my heart and my spirit and actually physically when I have written or spoken about certain things and reached out to you at a pivotal time when I was trying to publish about certain things sensitively to ask your opinion. Was I hitting the mark or was I missing the mark? So thank you for being there that way as well. So tell us about the song that you're going to sing and then we'll just keep going. We'll, we'll roll until it ends, sister. Perfect. So this song is called War Cry and it's a song that I performed at the Women's March on Washington, but I actually wrote it over 10 years ago. And it's a song that that's written in five languages. So it's written in uh, Isuzulu, Ochivambu, Kiswahili, Spanish, and English. And it's a song about us coming together with our different languages, our different ways of knowing and understanding and, and being in the world, but coming together with a common vision and a common purpose for love, for justice, and for freedom. So be it. <laughs> Este espíritu de impacto camarada de 
Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.